you need to start building that that cash flow base. You know, whether that's one, two, three thousand dollars of cash flow to give you that that ability to you know you're, you're starting out, you have that cushion to fall back on, you have the freedom to quit your day job if you want to. In a time plagued by groupthink, a tribe known as the Millionites have emerged from the depths of time to alter our trajectory for the betterment of humanity. These are their chronicles. Welcome to our community, where every single week we'll study the craft of some of the most successful entrepreneurial leaders in their given area of expertise. We'll take a trip down memory lane, long before the millions, to uncover their secrets to success and how they've achieved their goals. By doing this, we can fast-track our way to success and live the life we've always dreamt of. So, whether you are looking to attain financial freedom, location independence, or reaching the millionth mark of your milestones and more, then you've come to the right place. Stick around to find out what works, what doesn't, and how you can reach your millions. If you would like instant access to our back catalog, visit us at beforethemillions.com. And now, your host, DeRay Olaleye. What's good, BTM community? I'm your humble host, DeRay Olaleye, and welcome back. Welcome back. This is a, another fantastic episode of the Before the Millions BTM podcast. This is actually episode 20. One. And on this episode, guys, we are interviewing real estate investor Lane Kawaoka. Lane is based out of Hawaii, the beautiful, beautiful Hawaii. You guys know I, I love Hawaii. And we really get into his story and how he was able to move back to Hawaii. He's he's a Hawaii native and he moved moved to Washington of all places. No, I'm just playing. I love Washington. He moved to Seattle. I actually want to live in Seattle for at least a short duration or stint in my life. So we'll see what happens. But since he's moved back as part of one of his life plans and it's simply an inspirational story. Lane started actually buying rentals as an accident. So he's an accidental landlord. He bought his first single family home and realized that it was a cash sucking machine for lack of a better term. And he wanted to do something about it. So we kind of get into that story. It's fascinating. We talk about the 1031 exchange and, and who should get into a 1031 exchange and some of the pitfalls that some of us may not realize about 1031 exchanges. And lastly, guys, Lane motivates us to get started creating cash flow for ourselves. And you guys know that's one of my favorite subjects to talk about because, you know, once you have that cash flow, once you, once you have passive cash flow coming from wherever you have it coming from, you start freeing yourself up to do so many other things and live a certain type of lifestyle that a lot of people aren't privy to. So cash flow is, is is literally king. You know, it's not about appreciation. It's not about all these other things. I mean, once you've achieved cash flow, you can you can go you can go seek some of these other benefits. But I think that, you know, starting out, your number one primary goal should be cash flow. And then once you've achieved a certain level of cash flow that at least covers your expenses, guys, then then let's start looking into some of these other things. But the emphasis is cash flow and that's what that's what Lane motivates us to to focus on on this episode. So Really, really good episode, guys. Last week, I mentioned that the format of this show would be changing, and this is the last episode that will be using the old format. So next week, you'll tune in and you'll hear a brand new format, a brand new direction. We're just evolving the podcast, guys. And the reason for the change, guys, is really because it's kind of where I've always wanted the direction of the podcast to go. 
it's still based off of the same premise. You know, we're studying the path of successful entrepreneurs and millionaires and we're studying their path to millions. So whether that's, you know, a million views on YouTube and how they were able to successfully do that or, you know, feeding a million homeless people or buying a million dollars in real estate or a lot of the, the, the milestones that the previous guests have achieved. But I think that I want the focus of the podcast to actually be the lifestyle that you can achieve before you even get to your goal. I think that, you know, sometimes we get so lost in the process that our only focus is the goal. Our only focus is, you know, once I get to this goal, then everything will be okay. Or once I get to this goal, then I can start doing this, you know. And while that may be true, I'm betting it's not. I'm betting you can start doing some of those things now. I'm betting you can start living that lifestyle now. I'm betting that you can automate your business now. I'm betting that you can fill this position. I'm betting that you can travel as much as you want now, but you just haven't thought about how to do it. You haven't put your mind to the test. And that's really the, the, the where I want to take this podcast. I want to start debunking some of these myths that we have. I want to start talking to these entrepreneurs and talking about things that they do, things that they have been doing since before the millions, things that work. You know, the goal is to create the ultimate lifestyle design for ourselves, guys. I think that that's the, that's the main premise of this podcast, you know, lifestyle design before the millions that don't have, you don't have to wait to get to the millions to literally start living your life. I think you can start doing that now, even if you're just a startup business, even if you've just now started investing, I think that we still want to live, be, you know, live our best life every single day now and not always be looking for or waiting till someday. And I think that if we really truly live our best lives now and, and live out our, our passions, I honestly truly believe that our passions will, will take us to the millions much faster than us focusing on on getting to a number or getting to a specific goal. I think that if you live your life doing doing what you love every single day and it's truly what you love and you would do it even if you didn't get paid for it, I think that there are definitely ways out there, many ways to monetize that if you just think outside of the box. So let's focus on trying to live our best life every single day. And you guys kind of see where we're going with the show. We want to interview these highly successful entrepreneurs and millionaires, and we really want to dive into you know their, their business, their investing, what they're doing today, and what we can possibly be doing today in our business, how we can be creating some autonomy. I want to make sure that we have all the tools that are at our disposal business-wise to create the lifestyle that we've always wanted, and I think that we can do that through this podcast. So live your perfect life before the millions through entrepreneurship and investing. You know, we're a community of real estate investors, online business owners, and location independent entrepreneurs. It's time that we take the role of master architect in our lives. With that being said, guys, let's go ahead and jump right into the conversation with Lane. We recommend only the best books on this show. With that being said, we can understand the urge to read the last book you've heard an entrepreneur get excited about. Well, guess what? You can go read it right now. We've partnered with Audible, an Amazon company that produces high-quality audiobooks. Together, we are offering, and for free, a 30-day trial and one free book as soon as you sign up. So, if you've been eyeing a certain book but haven't quite been able to pull the trigger yet, we'd love to cover the cost for you. Just visit audibletrial.com slash before the millions to start reading or listening to your next free book. The link is also in the show notes of this episode at beforethemillions.com. Lane, how do you pronounce your last name, by the way? Uh, Kawaoka. Kawaoka. And where's that from? Um, it's uh, Japanese. I, Japanese. I live in Honolulu. Honolulu, Hawaii. That's that's amazing. Last time I was in Hawaii was this exact time last year. So October of last year, Hawaii is amazing. Um, have you always lived there? 
Um, no, I just moved back uh, a couple months ago. Um, was in Seattle for about 14 years for college and finally able to move back. What type of real estate do you invest in? Yeah, so initially I was just another uh, single family home investor, um, just picking up uh, rentals, uh, you know, normal traditional down payments from my uh, day job, which is a W2 engineer, uh, civil engineering field. Um, and uh, But recently it's been multifamily because uh, that single family homes just wasn't really sustainable and or scalable. Uh, and um, yeah, multifamily and uh, raising money for deals is kind of where I've been heading this last couple of years. And uh, I think that's... Uh, yeah, who knows if I'll, I'll stay on that for forever, but that's where I'm at now. Multifamily syndication and apartments is uh, kind of where I'm living now. So you are a real estate investor, more specifically a multifamily investor. Let's figure out how you got there. What was high school like in, in college and what made you start investing in real estate? Let's let's maybe talk about a couple pain points that, that you hit in your early years that kind of paved your way. Well, I mean, my journey through through, even through college is pretty linear. Go to college, you know, study hard, go to college, you know, always just be very conscientious with your money, you know, don't try and spend it. Probably a very scarcity mindset with money. I guess like on my on my website, I got this little Google Drive list of all these stupid things I used to do with saving money. Like washing name, your car name, in the rain. Name a couple. <laughs> washing yeah, like washing your car in the rain, you know, using the facilities at work as much as you can, free coffee at work, you know, just really stupid things. Not to the extent of like driving five miles to save 50 cents on a coupon, but like, and then, I mean, but it, it helped me save for my first rental pretty quickly out of, out of college. Why did you feel like you needed to do that, Lane? So let's go back before that, before even, even thinking that you needed to save for your first rental. I mean, why, why even get a rental? What, what was, you know, what was so attractive about that? Well, it was never a, a rental. It was always just, you know, go get a, a job, go get a home. It was that primary residence because, again, it's that, that, that dogma we're all growing up with, of, you know, owning your own primary residence so you can, quote unquote, get on the escalator of wealth building because, you know, they, they tell us that rent is, is just throwing money away, which I completely disagree with. I think it's, you know, buying your own primary residence, it, it not only like takes out a huge chunk of change, you know, for us on the, on the West coast, I mean, you're going to have to put like 80 to $160,000 down and you could have bought like, you know, five or seven turnkey rentals with that, with that cash. And, you know, for like a young couple that just totally like torpedoes your financial, you know, cash flow because, you know, you go out and buy that big home and now you just have this $3,000 mortgage even sometimes even four thousand dollar mortgage right off the bat and right. for like a young couple that totally screws you for the rest of your life so you're an advocate for for renting at least because of where you're where you're located it sounds like your mortgage payments would be three four thousand dollars your down payment would be eighty thousand so you know you're, you're basically saying that that money can buy you quite a few investment property so it's better to kind of go that route than to buy your primary home right right i mean it it, it is such a debilitating dis- mistake to do something like that and 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 now you're just you're you're going to be having to pay that that payment for the rest of your life for 30 years and you know it just seems like 
you know, again, that's just another dogma to keep us working forever. And it, and it, it comes down to cash flow. That cash flow gives you the freedom to do what you want and to be able to make investments to, to pull yourself out of that hole. You're looking to buy a home to, to live in. And how did your thoughts change from that? Because, you know, you're, you're, what you're telling me now is that that was a plan that was faulty. That was a plan that wouldn't work. So, you know, what did you start doing to, to I guess, expand your mind to figure out what exactly you should do with your money or what, where exactly you should live and how you should live? Yeah, so I'm 32 years old now, and I bought that first home in 2009. Sure, I can't even do the math, but, you know, I, I bought that home and it was to live in. And at the time, I was, a, I was doing construction management as where they stick all the newbie engineers when you first start out and you're traveling 100% of the time. So I bought that home. I was only home on like Saturday because it was 100% travel. And I was like, this is really dumb like for, for me to be at home only one day out of the week. And it's like this really nice suite. You know, it was a class A. It was a class A home. It was like 350000 It rented for 2200 a month. So a pretty nice place. I just called my landlord one day, an old landlord, and I was like, hey, can you rent this out for me? Because I'm just like, I'm tired of, you know, just being here only one day a week. And I hear that you can rent this stuff out, right? Like, because I did it throughout college. You know, I just, it just one thing led to another. And I, I, I saw the cash flow coming in because the mortgage was like only 1600 And the number is 2200 a month. By all the 50% rule and all the stuff we try and follow these days, I mean, I didn't know any of that kind of stuff, but I just knew that the delta between the mortgage and the payment was like a few hundred dollars. And that was like pretty good beer money to like a 20, 21 year old, 22 year old at the time. So that was kind of what I was like, well, shoot, I got to get more of these things. Definitely. So you, you had that you, you had that aha moment after you bought your property. You didn't go in buying your property with the intention of eventually renting it out. You you went in buying your property thinking that this was going to be your primary residence and you quickly found out you were throwing money down the drain because you were never home and you wanted to do something about that. You wanted to figure out a way to make some money off of that. And once you did, once you finally got some tenants in there and you saw the cash flow, I guess so that's when that's kind of when you caught the bug. That's when you got hooked. Right, right. So like I'm in your accidental landlord category and you know, can I give, you know, people, people call me and set up calls with me, you know, because I still, I still do the free call thing with anybody who's, who's willing to, to chat and I just guide them in, you know, how I can in five or 10 minutes. But and I kind of give people a hard time about starting, but you know, I mean, I, I didn't really, it, it's hard to change your situation. You know, your destiny is shaped in your decisions and Quite honestly, like I didn't really have to make a decision of like, oh, I'm going to buy this as a rental. I kind of just fell into it. It just so happens I had the right situation for me because I was traveling all the time. And because, you know, one of my biggest cheapskate hacks was to live in a hotel that the company provided me when I was traveling. You know, I mean, I, I fell into it. I think what I ask of a lot of my investors these days that want to get started in, in a single family home rental is that like you have to kind of take the leap of faith and i'll be honest i didn't really do that what's the purpose of these calls how do you kind of handle that conversation how do you help them get into their first investment so one thing like you know i've got my own podcast so it's kind of weird like how how well they know me and some people like recite the the jokes to me my my own jokes to me so it's kind of (laughs) weird i'm like oh okay because i have this one joke where like i'm like 
you know, I mean, you, you see it all the time. Like you go to Rio or you, you, you talk to someone on the phone and you're like, you know, they sound very like, you know, motivated and they want to get started. And I'm like, okay, yeah, I have this cool analyzer spreadsheet I can send to you if you'd like, or like these contacts for portfolio lenders or turnkey providers. And I'm like, oh yeah, yeah. Can you shoot me an email? Cause I'm like driving now and they're like, yeah, yeah, cool, man. Cool, man. And then, you know what? Like nobody freaking emails you for that stuff. Right. Like nobody like takes the first step to like yeah, follow off yeah. on anything <laughs> yeah. to like, you know, people say like, Oh yeah. Hey, I email you, man. <laughs> I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay. I got it. Got it. It's like, I mean, the first thing I do is just like, you know, I mean, they already know who I am. So I'm like, okay, like maybe give me the rundown real quick. And when I first started doing this, I, I got these like, you know, people would like tell me their whole life story. And I was like, okay, okay. <laughs> like, tell me what you do and, you know, how much liquidity you have to play with. And, uh, you know, how much money do you, are you able to save at the end of the year? You know, you're, you're, you know, you may go to a job and you have expenses. I want to know how much you can save because that really determines what you do. Those, those two pieces of information. And you know, some people aren't, you know, aren't really willing to share that, but I find like a lot of people are because I share so much of my own podcast and they, they already know so much about my personal finances that, you know, a lot of people like to, you know, just, just lay everything on the table. And, and this kind of rule that I've come up with is like, you know, if you're able to save more than $30,000 a year, you're probably going to want to, go to syndications or larger, more scalable investments sooner than later. But I still recommend that everybody start with single family homes because that's like the prerequisite for any kind of investing, whether it's gas stations or assisted living facilities or multifamily apartments. You know, and the, and the reason behind that is if you have more than $30,000 at the end of the year, you've got the war chest, if you've got the, the firepower to go after like one single family home a year and you're able, you're probably able to get out of the, the rat race if you've got a pretty frugal lifestyle in about five to seven years. And if you're buying one a year and then at the, kind of at the tail end of that, you're buying a couple a year because you're just expanding your knowledge. You know, the cash flow from the first properties are saving, you know, improving your cash flow to buy even more. Definitely, definitely. So your approach is, you know, your, your, your main two questions are how much do you have saved up now? And basically, how much can you save up? How much can you save up in a year? How much can you save up by the end of the year? And, you know, it's basically, it boils, it sounds like it boils down to, to basically your liquidity, how much, how much you have to put up. So let's talk to maybe the people who don't have any money, who have very little money. What, how does that conversation go from there? I'm like, dude, man, like, I can't help you out. Like, <laughs> I mean, sorry. Like, I mean, I, I went to school and I, I have, you know, engineers don't make a whole lot of money. You know, we're, we don't make anywhere near 100, 120, 180 grand. Like a lot of these, you know, computer programmers or doctors, lawyers. I think that's why a lot of engineers do the real estate because, you know, the pay kind of sucks, you know, for middle management, you know, those mid-level careers, or the, especially the senior level jobs. You just don't make too much as being an engineer. And, you know, for as much schooling as you go through and, you know, I'm, I'm like, okay, this is how I did it. I'm not going to tell you how, how to do wholesaling and flipping. And I mean, I, I totally understand that stuff and it's great, you know, content to kind of hear initially because, you know, it, all these skills are sort of transferable. How do you pick up lists? You know, how do you strategize in some lead that 
nobody else has done before to find things, you know, but at some point it's just a different business trying to find distress sellers and picking up single family homes. But that way, like I just tell people like, like that, I just don't know how to do that. I mean, it comes down to your time, money, and knowledge. Like you need to understand what you have of those three resources. Like I had a little bit of time, you know, I had decent money. I mean, not, not like some of these other guys I talked to. And I didn't really have any knowledge at the time. You know, I worked on getting that knowledge and, you know, leveraging the money that I did have. So that just meant just conventional, boring, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, single family home mortgages, saving 20% down payments and just slowly building from there. No tricks, you know. They say tricks are for kids. (laughs) If you, you you know, no money down, like, sorry, dude, I just can't help you. Like, I'm not that guy. There's like thousands and thousands of websites out there you can go to that have great information. Definitely, definitely. And I like to think of myself as one of the people who who can help you get in with no money down or creative financing and things like that, because there are ways that, you know, I recently bought bought a property for 500000 And, you know, when you put down 20% or 25% of that, you know, you're looking at upwards of $100,000. And that's a lot of money for a first-time investor or somebody who who's just now getting out the gate. But if you're able to creatively finance, if you're able to use other people's money, if you're able to syndicate, if you're able to find a lender who's willing to work with you, who has favorable terms, if you're able to kind of think outside the box, you know, as a, I guess as a new investor, there are, there, there are, are, there are ways to kind of get your foot in the door. You know, there's, a, there's of course, you know, about the uh, term called house hacking. And if you're able to house hack, you're able to put down 5% or 3.5%. So imagine being able to put down 3.5% on a $500,000 home. You're only putting down $17,500. People can do that. You know, it, it, it's daunting when you see these properties and you see a duplex or a triplex or a fourplex and you, you, wanna, you want to start getting into multifamily and you think that you can't do it because you don't have the money. You know, there are there are things like master leases or so, you know, to where you're, you're buying the property from the owner, but you're paying the owner kind of like rent payments, but you're collecting, you, you have all autonomy, you're, you're, you're running the property, you're collecting rent, you're doing everything as if you are the owner, but you still have that payment to the owner. There are so, there are so many ways to get into these deals. There's so many, I understand your, your thought process and it's like, if you don't have any money, I can't do anything for you. That definitely makes sense. And it's, it's a lot better to have money because you never want to be over leveraged. But I don't want to discourage listeners who don't have any money and, you know, hearing that they're like, okay, well, I'm just not going to do anything. No, there are, there are ways to, to definitely capitalize on your situation. Everybody has something, you know, no, no matter what it is, uh, it may be because of your geography. If you live in a rural area, there are certain loans that you can get. Everybody has something. And if you can do enough research to figure out what that something is, what, what helps you stand out from the crowd or what you can do that somebody else can't do, then I think you'd be in a great position. But kind of moving on, Lane. So quickly, let's talk about, let's talk about cash flow. You know, you have a cash flow podcast. Let's talk about cash flow versus appreciation. Why cash flow is so important, especially to a W-2 worker, maybe looking to leave their job. Has it always kind of been the, the arena you've always wanted to operate in? You wanted to find a way to create cash flow or have you always kind of looked for a mixture of cash flow and appreciation? Talk about the importance of cash flow and what that allows you to do if, if it provides any type of autonomy for you. Yeah. So, I mean, cash flow is probably the most important thing starting out, especially you know, when I first bought my first couple of properties there in Seattle and, you know, they're definitely appreciation based properties, even though I bought them at the right time. So they cash flowed, 
you know, but then 2012 came along and I was like, well, what the heck? Like, you know, all these, none of these properties are appreciating or none of these properties are cash flowing. They were kind of dipping below that 1% rule at that time. So that's kind of what I, you know, maybe purchased my first property in 2013, 14 in Birmingham, Alabama, like, with, I don't even know, 2000 miles away from Seattle and going down that road because, you know, you know, that's a good example of like, I thought my investing career was over, right? Like, I mean, now I'm not going to be able to source any of these properties. And that was probably one of the biggest turning points in my investing careers that I was able to get over that hurdle of, you know, investing in your own backyard. And that totally made me see the light of appreciation versus cash flow investing. And I call appreciation speculation because you never know. I mean, we've been on a pretty dang good run these last, you know, almost decade now, but like, you know, you can't always count on that. And and I always come back to this this metaphor of like the cash flow pyramid. Like when you're starting out, like you need to start building that that cash flow base, you know, whether that's one, two, three thousand dollars of cash flow to give you that that ability to, you know, you're you're starting out, you have that cushion to fall back on, you have the freedom to quit your day job if you want to. So you're not making decisions out of scarcity and doing stupid things because you're just trying to put food on the table. The cash flow is putting food on the table for you. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, that cash flow is probably the most important thing. And, and, and traditional wealth building is completely opposite, right? Like you come out in the workforce and they tell you you need to go in these like Vanguard index funds because it's supposedly the most like, you, know, you, you have the most, most longest timeline. So it's the most riskiest of stuff. Like, no, I think it's complete opposite. You need to be going for the most conservative investments that give you the cash flow, sort of the, the dividend stocks first. Get that up to a certain level. Then you can go play around with like, you know, whatever you you, you want to do at that point, whether it's flipping houses or, or larger developments. Like I, I think people always do it the wrong way. Definitely. So is that is that kind of how you started out? I know that, you know, entering the workforce and you entered as an engineer, was there was there like a plan set out for you? Like, hey, this is this is what everybody's investing in. So this is what you invest in. You know, you put your money in your 401k, you you choose these, you know, you choose these assets and 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 kind of just forget about it. So was it was there was there like a plan already laid out for you to kind of follow? And did you follow that plan or did you just immediately just start taking your money and dumping it into real estate? No, I was like totally follow the dogma, put your money in the 401k, you know, you, you get your 6% match and then even more on top of that. Cause I was just blindly, you know, following all these rules and marketing set up by all these wall street companies that you just pour your money in this black pit of despair and get your six to 8% a year. How did that work out for you? I mean, it works, right? Like, I mean, the problem is they're probably taking like, the other seven to eight percent, or even more, right? T- that's the problem with Wall Street. It's 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 corrupt and it's a roller coaster, and they're making money off of the middle class, and that's that's how it's flawed. So you you started buying single family lane. What made you start getting into? And I, I believe you're only the only realms that you operate in is buy and hold. You, know, you, you again, you said you don't do any wholesaling and things like that. So you know you're a buy and hold investor, and you started in single family. At what point did you decide to switch, and why? So I, I did this a, few, a couple of years ago. I did this big 1031 where I exchanged my Seattle properties for did a two 1031s, two properties for nine properties out of state in Birmingham, Atlanta, Indianapolis. You know, because I, I again I followed the dogma doing these 1031 exchanges, which I totally 
I don't even, I, I don't think people should do 1031s exchange if they're futures and, you know, syndications and, you know, investing in LLCs as a limited partner or cheap general partner. I think that like going down that road and kind of like, oh shoot, like look what I created. I had this, I got all these little single family homes and they're all just a headache. It's not going to create the cash flow number I'm shooting for. And then at that time I started to network with a lot higher level group people and they were all echoing the same thing. They were like, yeah, we did the same thing. We we did all this work. We did the 45, 60 day close, you know, giving the lender all these, you know, all these documents, finding the property, you know, all this time and energy that we didn't have as working professionals to purchase a single family home. And all we did was created like 200 bucks of passive cash flow. And we're like, shoot, we got to do this. How many more times? Like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 more times? Like this is just stupid, right? Like, the only people who are saying the right thing, those the way to do it are the turnkey providers themselves trying to sell you this stuff. They're not investors. They don't know. Definitely, definitely. I, I definitely experienced the same thing. I bought my, my very first property was a single family home. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm making $200, $250 every month. But how many more of these do I have to buy before I can quit my job? Like, this, this is going to be a while. So you touched on the 1031 exchange and not all of my listeners are, are real estate investors or investors at all. Some are entrepreneurs, some are business owners, online business owners. So maybe talk about the 1031 exchange, what that means. You know, it's a way to defer your capital gains taxes, but maybe walk us through a specific example so that our, our listeners could kind of understand what that means in real life. Yeah. So 1031 exchange, just kind of repeat what you said in a different way. Cause it's, it is kind of confusing when you first hear this stuff. Like, you know, when your primary residence, when you sell that, that thing, because it's, it's your home, you can write off, you don't have to pay the gains, the taxes on the gains. So like if you purchased a home for 200 grand and then you sold it for 400, which happens a lot these days, you know, you just made $200,000. If it was a primary residence, you don't have to pay any taxes on that. But if it's a rental property, you've got to pay the taxes on that gain. So you got to pay 200, you just put 200 grand into your income column. So essentially, I don't know what, what tax bracket you're at, but just to use the, the 25% category, I mean, you're 25% of 200 grand, you, you have to pay the IRS like 50 grand for that yeah. gain. And not to mention, which a lot of people forget, you gotta, you're taking part of the reason why we're doing these real estate investments for the depreciation. So you've got to pay back the depreciation recapture. So you know, that's, that's another math calculation in itself. But like, you know, if you held onto that property, you know, a few years, you're probably paying like a few grand of, you know, getting that depreciation of a few grand every year. So you've got to, again, take that into the income category and, and pay taxes on that too. So as you can see, it becomes like, oh shoot, like I got to pay a lot of taxes. So one way, if you're just slowly building your portfolio and, and that's what I did, like I had, I had a home I bought for 350 like I said, and it appreciated up to, I think, like 400, 450. So I had like a gain of 100. You know, if, if I would have had took that and bought jet skis and done whatever I wanted to do, go to Vegas, I would have had to pay taxes on that 100 grand, which would have been, you know, at 25% tax bracket, $25,000 about. Again, I'm not a tax professional. <laughs> Consult with your own folks, but this is yep. just you and I talking. But yeah. You know, that's a lot of money. But what I did was I did a 1031 exchange. I found the 1031 custodian. I paid like 500 
I forget, $500 or $1,000 for them to basically run the transaction for me. I get, you know, all the proceeds go to them so that the IRS knows that you're not buying jet skis. Cause <laughs> I guess the story is some guy did that one time and ruined it for us all. So I was able to not pay taxes on it because the money went right into another, another property or, or a bunch of properties in that case. You know, I traded one for five, you know, five rental properties out of state. Yeah. Able to save the taxes. But then Fast forward to today when I want to go into an LLC for a multifamily syndication or any syndication for, for that, like you can't do that because it's like not a light kind exchange is what my lawyer tells me. So I have to go, I have to pay all the taxes or all the, the gains appreciation up to this point. And I have to go back to those original properties. So I was like, why did I do this <laughs> a few years ago? Like, that's like the dumbest thing. And like, of course, like, you know, that's, I guess that's a rule. Like you always, you always take what somebody's telling you with a grain of salt, right? Like the insurance person's always going to tell you to get more insurance. The turnkey provider is always going to tell you that the turnkey rental is the best thing since sliced bread. The 1031 guy is always going to be saying the 1031 is the, the answer to taxes. Like, no, no, you need to network with actual investors. You've done it before, you know, to get this kind of stuff. So I'm saying don't do the 1031 exchange. Like if you're going to do syndication in the future. I love that. I love that. I love that a lot, especially with these different professionals and what they're pitching. Yeah. So it's a kind of round out that segment, the 1031 exchange. Again, you're deferring your capital gains tax. So if you, if you do sell your property that you bought for 200, if you sell it for $400,000 and you know, now you have, now you have all this equity or you have all this capital, you know, the, the, the way for you not to pay taxes on that is to buy a similar asset to the asset that, that you're selling. And you're able to take those proceeds to buy that asset. And therefore you're able to defer your taxes and what people some people do is they defer taxes over and over again so they they keep going bigger they keep getting they, you know you know maybe they're starting with a 20 unit building and then they sell it and they buy a 40 unit building 40 unit and then a 60 and they, they just keep you know it's a snowball effect they just keep going up so Lane, let's just say you've been 1031 exchanging all your life and you haven't paid capital gain taxes on anything and now you have you know a massive portfolio of, of 3,000 units and God forbid, you know, you're dead, you die. What happens to your, to the taxes that you owe? What happens to all that? Does it get passed down to your loved ones or does it, do they kind of just wash away? What, do you know what happens to that? Yeah, so that's like the wash rule. When you die, you can pass it on to your heirs tax-free. So that's the only good thing. But, you know, I'm all about living to get today. You know, quite frankly, I'm, I mean, I don't have kids. I don't know about you, but like, I don't really want them that get too much of this stuff, right? Because that's what spoils a lot of people. I mean, I, I grew up, around a few trust fund, you know, kids growing up and those, you know, that's just the worst. That's absolutely. (laughs) You mentioned that you now live in Hawaii. So maybe talk about the transition and and the lifestyle that that you're living now and and why you you chose to kind of live this lifestyle. Let's talk through maybe your typical day and why you've even decided to make this move. Yeah. So I, I grew up in Hawaii. I went to Seattle to go to school at University of Washington now, I, I was there for like 14 years, actually. And it was always my goal to, I think everybody kind of wants to move back home or where they grew up eventually. So that was, that was for me. But I mean, let's look at the numbers. I mean, Hawaii is like 10% more expensive than anywhere in America, even like places like Malibu and the cost of living. I mean, the average home out here is like 800 a million dollars. And that's for, you know, not the greatest house. 
just for like a regular house that you can get, you can pick up for 200 grand in Texas. And the average gallon of milk is what, $10? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like fortunately I don't drink milk, but like then, you know, you don't realize, but like the jobs out here, there's really no industry. So like, I mean, I had to take a huge pay cut to come out here. So definitely it's a price of paradise, but like, you know, like, hey, you know, I budgeted it, right? That's why you, that's why they make Excel and you can like spreadsheet this out. And that was, it was all part of the design. And you and I were talking about this earlier. Like, this is like, you need to figure out what makes you happy and what, what your goals are and, and kind of create your lifestyle and your business around it. Like, I use the example of, you know, that marshmallow, the marshmallow effect or that theory. Yeah, the one where they, yeah. they get the these like little kids and they put them in a room and they say, well, you can, you can have one marshmallow now, but if you don't touch it for, I don't know how long, like you'll get, we'll give you too much marshmallows. And most of the kids like will eat, I don't know. Like, I think they, they did this weird thing where like they found all the kids who ate the marshmallow right away and they found out they were like not successful in life or something like yep, that. Yep. I, 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 I randomly read that like re- really, really recently. I know exactly what you mean. Um, yeah. all the, the people who ended up being successful were the people who, who were able to, to delay gratification, basically. Right, right. Yep. But like it's, you know, this is life. We're adults. Like, you know, this is not a binomial thing. It's not a zero one computer application. It's not like, there are people who delayed gratification and there's people who don't like it's all shades of gray and you need to figure out like, you know, you get your first single family home, you you first start, you know, having your business, getting it going. And then you kind of create like, okay, like I see where this is heading. I'll see I hit, hit my $5,000 of passive cash flow a month in, you know, five years well, let's just tinker here. Let's just like do a sensitivity analysis and let's see like, well, if I wanted to, you know, go for like a massage every Saturday, like how much more would I have to create passive cash flow wise? Like, oh, okay. That puts my, my goal out six and a half years, right? Like it's not, it's not black and white here. It's more like shades of gray and kind of designing your lifestyle around what you want. And that's what I did. And I mean, it's more about that, like getting what you want today. Cause we're always trying to balance between, you know, that low, low lifestyle live, you know, you only live once, which the millennials have, which is flawed and kind of what a lot of like the baby boomers did, which like they delayed gratification and they went to work and then they die shortly after they retire. Right. That's, that's like the saddest thing. So you need to balance the two. So and that's what I try and do. Like just, trying to figure out what makes you happy and, and kind of just live live life. And it all changes, right? I love that. So you were in Seattle and I guess you were looking to to get your passive income or your cash flow to a certain point so that when you did move to Hawaii, you were able to take that pay cut because you had you had enough passive income covering your expenses. Is that correct? Right. And also have like, you know, definitely build out the runway for, you know, the investing. And, and if, you, if you guys get like a business, like definitely get the proof of concept before you make any jump like that because it's 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 a kind of a two-prong thing yeah it's, it it i didn't make the move until i had like you know those those first few hundred of multi-family units under my belt 
Definitely, definitely. Okay. Well, Wayne, this has been a pleasure. And I have just one more question before we end out this segment and, and move on to the very last segment of the show. So it seems like you've achieved the, the lifestyle that you've, you've been looking to achieve. And of course, we always have goals in the future, but maybe walk us through a typical day of yours and, and from beginning to end, what are some success habits that you may do in the morning and walk us through your day, how you plan out your meetings, your podcasting, your, you know, talking to investors, things like that. Is there, is there a typical day? And if there is, kind of walk us through that. Yeah, so I mean, I, I still work a, a W two engineering job, so I go, I put on pants early <laughs> in the morning, just like everybody else, put on a, a shirt that I probably don't want to put on and and drive off to work. But yeah, you know, like especially living in Hawaii, since I mean, right now it's early in the morning and it's probably evening for a lot of you guys on the East Coast right now. But I've got to wake up a little early, and it just seems like a lot of successful people wake up early. You know, a lot of people have kids and. And just to knock out what's truly the most important, which is your side gig, if that's your side gig or your business, if you've made it, if you've quote unquote living the dream and kind of fired the boss and, and gone down that path already. But no, and like right now I'm still working the side gig and, you know, I kind of enjoy it. It gives me, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of self in conflict because I went to school for so long and it's hard to give up the easy paycheck right now but yeah like wake up early do an hour or two of you know calls like this and catch up on emails and you know throughout the day you know like like i said a lot of it what i do these days is just you know it comes down to just helping people out you know just talking to people on the phone and no agenda just like how can i add value to you whether it's like a turnkey provider in atlanta or insurance guy or like, how can I help other people? Because I know it's going to come back. You know, there's so many of these quotes. I just, you know, I, I just copy a lot what other people do, to be honest. I don't examine the roots. I just pick the fruit. Yeah, I think I think one of, one of my favorite quotes is by Zig Ziglar. You know, you help enough people in this world achieve what they want, and you'll surely achieve your, your goals and your dreams. So I think that's amazing. The best real estate investing advice ever show is literally the only daily podcast that I subscribe to. And now I'm prescribing for you the world's longest-running daily real estate podcast. That's unprecedented. Visit joefearless.com slash show for the back catalog. Enjoy. You are listening to the Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions. Before the Millions podcast. What is your favorite Before the Millions book? I would say The Millionaire Investor by Gary Keller. When I first started, that was one of the first books I read. And what I give to a lot of my friends who are looking to get started, a lot of fundamentals in there, you know, really talks about different things like, you know, the differences between class A, B, and C rentals and the nuances between the different levels of headaches and, you know, where the sweet, sweet spot in, for investors are. You know, I'm not a really big book guy. I'm more of a podcast guy because I like to do things on the go. And But like I, I think most people, they read too many books, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> what were the sacrifices that you knew you had to make before the millions to get to where you are today? I think it's time. I mean, like still working a WT job and trying to find balance in my day. Like I, I just tell myself like, okay, you've got to go to work for eight hours. Like, you know, they, they're paying for this, just get it go. But like, everybody has like a couple hours at the end of the day, in the beginning of the day to work on their side gig. And 
I've just kind of given my two hours up on that for that side gig, you know, doing that instead of like watching TV or doing what a lot of other of my peers have been doing. You know, I don't even know what they do. I don't even know where the time goes. <laughs> I know like the average of like, you know, per average person watches eight hours of like TV a day. I mean, I don't know how much you you and I watch, but like at all, <laughs> like I don't even watch a TV at all. Like, yeah, <laughs> I was like, well, shoot, somebody's watching a lot of TV out there. Uh, again, it's all about delayed gratification. I know that one day, you know, I'll be able to live the, I mean, and not, and it's one thing that I'm already doing now. I've tried to implement in my life now, like as busy as I am, I try to make sure that, you know, during the process, you're still living your best life. You're still achieving some sort of lifestyle design. And whether that's, you know, depending on what you like, some people like TV, I like to travel. So, you know, as hard as I work, I make sure that all of my businesses operate from a cell phone so that I'm able to travel as, as frequently as possible. So, you know, it goes back to what, what you care about, what your perfect lifestyle design is. And it sounds like your perfect life, lifestyle design happens to be there in Hawaii. So you've been able to achieve that. And, and that's amazing. Who was essential to your growth before the millions and why? When I first started out, I didn't have any official mentor that I paid for. It was just a lot of people that I've networked through, you know, online and just getting on the phone with people. A lot of different data points because you know, especially when you're on the bottom rung you know talking to the bottom rung of investors you know they they think they've got it figured out and and real estate is so effective for wealth creation that like you got a lot of bad strategies out there but you got a lot of like older guys with a lot of money so like i mean you got a lot of people think they have the best strategy out there and they just really don't <laughs> there's a lot you know you're just not going to have access to those people starting out so just get a lot of data points and, you know, you know, once I, I started going, yeah, that's when I paid for the big masterminds and the big mentorship groups. You know, those were pretty invaluable. And I think people pay for that stuff a little bit too soon because a lot of people obviously did, you know, no, don't people, most people don't even do anything with that stuff. But yeah, show a little bit of proof of concept, do it yourself. And then once you're going 50 miles an hour, add the octane to the gas and then you're, then you're off and flying. Definitely, Lane. And you don't have to share any of your mastermind groups, but do you have any mastermind groups or, or one of those things that you just mentioned that you recommend for a new investor? Yeah, figure out what you want to do. You know, like if you want to be a quarterback, go to quarterback school. If you want to be a wide receiver, go to wide receiver camp. Like figure out what you, you want to do. And, and kind of what, what I see a lot of times, like, you know, like I said, like my avatar is like someone who's like me, who's like a, you know, engineer, doctor, lawyer, who, you know, he doesn't have, any time, but it's got like, got some cash. Like those are the people that I sought out initially, you know, cause that, those are the people, the path that I wanted to, I mean, you've got the ability on your podcast, like, cause your story, your, your path to, you know, create money out of nothing and do some pretty creative things and some stuff that I, I'm trying to like, you know, implement in some of the things I do today. But like, I, I didn't start out with that and I don't have that path. Like, you know, I don't have that path cemented for people to follow. But that's what I did when I first started is like figure out what I want to go and, and find someone who, what I want and do it. I like I that. think I see too many people like who are like busy engineers or doctors and they want to flip houses. I'm like, you want to flip houses? <laughs> you want two full-time jobs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, are you looking for a job? Like, what's, what's your goal here? You know, you always yeah. start with what's your goal? If it's cash flow and you don't want to find a job, you don't like your job, then don't look for another one because you're going to get your hourly rates going to be maybe lower. I love that. I love that so, so much. That's, that's super invaluable. 
why do you think so many of us are stuck before the millions, even though we have every intention on getting to the millions? I think people don't take action. I mean, I always fall back on the 70-20-10 rule, which uh, you know, they, they teach in corporate America, which is 70% of what your progression is based on your, your doing it, you know, learning it in the field. 20% is from your peers. You know, this is like, if you're talking real estate or business, it's like you getting on the phone and talking with you know, people who are what you want to do, you know, talking with them, picking their brain. And then 10% of it is books. That's why I'm so against reading all these books. You know, as we can see, most of it's a, just buying your first property. And like my first few properties that I bought, like I probably left three, five grand on the table at every single one of them because I just didn't know what I didn't know. There's four stages of learning and, and most people don't realize that. And, and that first stage is the most scariest and you don't even know how people are screwing you. Like that's how bad it is, but yeah. you need to fight through that. You need to, you know, if you want to pay for a mentor, like that's the good way of getting you through that there without blowing yourself out of the water. I think that's, that's what happens a lot of times. And it's a self-selecting thing. And you never hear the stories of people that blow themselves out of the water getting started because they're not going to come on the podcast because they don't get there. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, Lane, this has been amazing. If any of the listeners want to reach out to you, want to listen to your podcast, want to find out more about you, how can they get in touch with you? Yeah, they can come to Simple Passive Cashflow or look up the podcast, Simple Passive Cashflow. Yeah, URL is simplepassivecashflow.com. My email address is lane at simplepassivecashflow.com. You know, whenever I get an email, I always, I always answer back. Always good to just get on the phone and yeah. If you guys want to pick my brain, yeah, open book. And if you come to my website, sign up for the podcast updates. So you guys get the all my spreadsheets, my analysis spreadsheets. And I got this Google Drive of like Easter eggs in there for people to go through. <laughs> definitely, definitely. Same here, same here. I started out helping people getting into their first investment property using a whole bunch of Dropbox documents and just kind of forwarded it to tons of people. And I kind of had the system going, but... As of late, my, my time hasn't been my time. So I decided to uh, come out with a course and just kind of drop all of that information in the course, record a whole bunch of videos and give that away for free. So that's amazing. I see that you have you have those Easter eggs as well. Great episode, guys. I'm glad you all stuck around to the end. Just want to give a special thanks to Lane for coming on the show. Really, really inspirational show. We enjoyed it a lot. And if you guys were wondering what course I was referring to towards the end of our segment, I was referring to the House Hack Secrets mini course. And if you listen to the previous episode, beforethemillions.com slash episode 20, where I interviewed Jay Morrison, right before that episode, I talk about the course and I go into detail about who it's for and what it's about. But it's basically a course that helps you get into your first house hack in the next 90 days. And I think it's a really, really encouraging, inspirational, and step-by-step -step course that can have you on your way. That's a cash flow vehicle, and it's a very good one at that. So if that's the vehicle that you're looking to use, definitely I recommend my course. It's free, guys, for a limited time, a very limited time. The window is closing on that. So uh, we're going to post prices pretty soon. So if you're listening to this, you probably still have some time. Definitely want you to, to take advantage of the free course as we make updates, as we start charging. You'll still have a lifetime membership, guys. So that's super powerful. So if you guys are interested in that, if you want to get in your first investment property in the next 90 days, then visit beforethemillions.com slash secrets. That's beforethemillions.com slash secrets.
Yorulay, yorulay, yorulay. Hey.